Praise the Lord. It's been a good day already. And hopefully I won't do anything to mess that up. <laughs> oh, one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, our walk together is that it really is a walk together. It's, it's not like, you know, I'm just giving praise to the Lord. I mean, when you were in if you've gone to Bible college or seminary and you hear uh, sermon preparation, uh, how to prepare sermons, which I do know how to do, I just don't do it very often, um, you, people scramble to find out, okay, what are we going to speak on? You know, how are we going to keep the people interested? How are we going to keep them entertained? You know, we've got to do a sermon this way, you know. Uh, we've got to spice it up so we'll keep people's attention. We have clips of movies moving, showing at various points of the sermon to make sure that they choose the right one. Um, you know, and, and that goes on. And um, I'm thankful that we don't have to do that because the Father is continually speaking to us as saints for things that we are needing right now. And uh, I am particularly grateful for um, what we're going to share today because, again, it, sh it showed me several things in the Word that I'd, I had never considered before, which is always just the greatest, the greatest gift from the Father. I mean, it just rejoices my spirit. But in here, uh, it, it, it is a, a word for us concerning how we're to negotiate through the remainder of this month and really target a launch point for the beginning of the month of June. And so we're going to talk about the Book of Remembrance, but we're going to talk about remembrance in general, and we're going to see it from, a, from, a, from an angle that I dare say we've, we've never considered before. If I say remembrance to you, you're probably going to think, oh, that just means to, to remember something. Duh. And um, there's power in that, and there can also be disaster in that. Some people love to remember things that are painful or things that have been uh, uh, wrongfully done to them, and they just live on that. It's, that's, the, that's the food, that's the fuel of bitterness. But remembrance is something that truly in the Scripture, uh, as, an official, as an official action by the people of God, it is always involved with transition. It is always involved with how you move forward into a, a massive step of faith going forward. And, um, and, and it, it really as we're going to see, is a tool that is used by the Father in our partnership with him to bring us along. It's something that he requires, and it's established many, many places in the Word. We just, like I said, you know, our brain just goes into autopilot, and we think we know what remembrance is, and so we don't really attribute the power and the vitality of it. It is also something that is used to defeat Satan and to defeat uh, the enemy influences at the point of going forward that, um, that, that we need to apply. Otherwise, the enemy will gain his strength. So we find ourselves here in the book of Malachi to begin. 
And I'll just tell you, for the past couple of weeks, the Spirit has been stirring this third chapter um, in a number of ways. And, you know, the wonderful thing about the book of Malachi, this is just our, this is just our diving board into this. But the wonderful thing about the book of Malachi is that Malachi it means the messenger or uh, an appointed messenger. And there probably was a man who was named this, but it could also be something that was put together by um, a, a, an individual or a group that said, this is the word of the Lord. The time frame for this book, uh, it's not postmarked, so we don't have a, an exact accuracy, but it probably was written shortly after the days of Nehemiah and Ezra. So, you know, there was, there was uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua and Haggai that came in to begin the work on the wall where the people were going to come back. And then remember we studied uh, between 10 and 14 years later, Nehemiah. And Ezra decided we're going to come back in and we're going to help. Well, this book was written there. So it was kind of a launch point into what God was wanting the people to do when uh, they had gotten back into Jerusalem. That's interesting for us to see. It's, it's very interesting. And so if you've read the book of Malachi, and I'm sure you have, it's the last book in the Old Testament. There's four chapters here, but this book has a batting average that is really high. The slugging percentage of this book is off the chart. There are incredible verses and promises in here that have really guided the church in so many ways. Um, and here in this third chapter particularly, most preachers go here because it talks about the tithe and the offering. And, you know, but thank, sadly, though, they, they stop there. Here, in the, we, we also find uh, the promise in the, in the fourth chapter about Elijah coming and turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And, you know, but, but there are so many amazing things in this book. But out of them all, over the past couple of weeks, the Father has been really drawing me to what happens in chapter 3 immediately after the directive for to Theme. And, um, you know, uh, we see in chapter 3, verse 11, I'll rebuke the devourer, destroy who would, he won't destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall the vine cast forth her fruit. All nations call you blessed. You'll be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. That's great, isn't it? Man, that's shouting words. We love that. Pay your tithe. Invest yourself. Invest what God has given, and that's what he's going to do. So why in the world, then, do we have verse 13? Your words have been stout against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? You have said it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we've walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, that they that tempt God are even delivered. You know, that's, it's interesting. Your words are stout against me. I believe 
that what we read here is an extension of a divine principle. Whenever there's a, a chance for the people to move forward in partnership with the tithing, with the sowing the seed of faith in God, that there is immediately, especially for the big steps, especially for the big moments of transition, you're going to have to deal with what is being said here that I just read in verse 13. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting that over these past couple of months, I have battled this, this very thing. And um, it's no shame to admit, I know preachers are never supposed to let the people know that you actually are affected by anything. That, that warfare for you is just nothing, you know. People like that. They don't, they, don't, they don't like for their leader to say, you know, I'm in the middle of this too, and I'm facing this. I may be facing it in a different way than you are, but I'm facing it. Um, and, and I can say this as well. This reminds me of the, of the days back in 19, back in 96, back way back when, when we were blessed, as we are now, but didn't lack for anything. Things were going great. And then the Lord said, uh, you know, out of the midst of this abundance, I want, will, will you go forward in something new with me? Will you, or you feel this, this challenge, you can feel the, the opportunity for transition, but yet, um, uh, will, will you sow into me? It's interesting too, and this is not the topic for today, but your words are stout, have been stout against me. You know that that, that term is hadzak, and it's the same term that's used in some prolific ways um, where, where God says, be strong and courageous. You know, that uses this term. Um, when um, uh, the first time it was used was when the angels came to bring righteous Lot and his two daughters and his wife out of Sodom. Uh, their first question is, what are you doing here anyway? I'm sure that's not written, but I, that's what I would be thinking. And uh, the angel got a hold of them and brought them out. Um, you also have when David was about to be transitioned to be king and the sons of Belial were there. They wanted to stone him. That was before they went to the enemy's camp. There's David, and these knuckleheads are wanting to throw stones at him and kill him. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. This, that word was part of that thing that David did. When Pharaoh was presented with releasing the, the people of God from Egyptian bondage, and God's kabod came upon him, and all those times where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, sometimes it was the term of the kabod, but most of the times it was this word. So at any point where you are in a point of transition or a point of going through, you know, like I referenced Joshua, be strong and of good courage, that word is there. And, and you're either going to press into what God wants or you're going to do things in a way that is either suspect of him or complaining or giving place to fear. Another time it's used, I was just going to teach on this, but I'm just referencing it now. Remember when uh, Saul, <clears throat> when Samuel came and, 
It was that time where Saul reached out and grabbed the hem of Samuel's garment and it tore. It's that word. Why was that used? Because Samuel was there. Saul should have obeyed. Saul should have been offering supplication on his own. But instead, he, he tried to do something in regard to uh, the ways of God the hem of the garment of the prophet, and he took matters into his own hands, which was basically uh, questioning the prophet and questioning the ways of God. That's the essence. You're either going to put your hand in obedience and in trust, or you're going to do something with this word that is either going to harden you or is going to keep you back. So your words have been stout against me. That's something really interesting that God says here. But, and it's, the, it's an odd word, stout, but all of those things and more in Hadzak or Hadzak is, um, is at a point of breakthrough where you either partner with God or you stand in questioning of God. And the enemy recognizes this is a necessary component for people to go through at a point of transition, and he will do everything he can to convince the individual to be stout against God or to take matters into your own hands or to be hardened instead of laying claim in faith to go forward. That is a divine, this is a divine principle. The enemy knows this principle. And I say, I say that even a thousand years from now, you know, I, I sometimes say 10 years from 20 years from now, I mean, uh, I think by a thousand years, we're all going to be in heaven. Uh, we will still face this principle. Now, you know, we, we won't doubt God. We won't be subject to the, the t t tears will no longer be there. But we will have to engage to believe God. And that's what God is saying. He's questioning uh, at this point of transition, right after, right, I mean, the next verse, all nations call you blessed. You're going to be a delightful people. The enemy's going to be vanquished. We know all these things. How many words has God given about the breakthrough for us? How many times has God said, look at what's happening around you. Look at what's ahead. And, and yet, here comes the enemy across our nation and across the world with this this strife and this dis, disbelief and, and just antagonistic thoughts against God and against the church and against the, the Word. And you, you see, this atmosphere is here, but, you know, in darkness and gross darkness, the light of the Lord will shine upon you. We're in the midst of this. And we have to be very careful that we apply the chazak in the way that we're supposed to. Because if we don't, we'll either doubt God, be angry with God, we will harden ourselves, or we'll just be agnostic with it and say, well, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and, you know, I see all this nonsense going on. I see people just thumbing their nose at God. I see people leaving the ranks, having forsaken us, going after this present world. So what good does it do? And I don't know if any of you have ever thought those kinds of things, but 
I can tell you that even the purest of minds, the enemy will try to inject that viewpoint into you if you're not careful. So this is something that I think that we have, we have faced, and it's something that we have to acknowledge from the Word, recognize the principle of it, and when you recognize the divine principle from His Word, you apply that, and the Word is our sword. Um, it, it's... Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So God begins by saying, your words have been stout against me. And then he says the things we just read. So what's the solution to that? And this is where I believe there's a rhema directive for us. Beginning today as a network and um, going forward throughout the end of this month. This is where the book of remembrance comes. In the midst of this thing, where words are stout against God. Then they, verse 16, and it's on your sheet, that feared the Lord, spoke often one to another, and Yahweh hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine says the Lord of hosts. Now we've got the armies involved. In that day when I make up my jewels, what does that mean? Fashion jewels. Um, there, you know, when you're fashioning a jewel, uh, if, if the making of it, there's a lot of pressure. Things squeezing on every side. There are, there are forces that are being applied to that jewel that are harsh. And if, if you are then going to, to work on that thing as a jeweler, and you're, you're going to be cutting things away, you're going to be faceting it, you're going to make it so that it reflects. And when God says, when I make up my jewels, it's not that he's looking at you and patting you on the side of the face, oh, you sweet thing, you're one of my precious jewels, you know. Play that baby dedication song. Oh, precious jewels, precious You remember that song. Uh, and... But, but this is talking about make up my jewels. This is what God is trying to refine in you and what you represent. And so you've got the book of remembrance and then this. And it says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between, and you'll be able to ra'ah between what is a divine vision and what is twisted between the him that's serving God and him that's serving him not. Now, so for me, um, I, I, was, I was first captivated by this stout words. And then the book of remembrance just got a hold of me yesterday when we were here in prayer. And I, I couldn't get away from it. And, and I thought, Father, why is that so important right there? What? It, it, yes, it, it is taking stock of what's happened, but it doesn't just say, hey, remember, you, you got a book of remembrance. You've got things being written and recorded, and you've got this being exchanged one to another, and it says that, that the Lord, them that feared the Lord did this, and the Lord recognized it, and he heard it. This is very interesting because it is 
It is right that you've got the blessing that's promised, and then you've got this craziness with the, with the strife of words and the enemy trying to conflict and, and, and bring about um, really, in, to some degree, probably a, an accurate depiction in the natural, but not what the spirit would be determining. And where you're choosing, I'm going to grasp the Lord. I'm going to apply my strength. You know, here's another factor with, with this chazak. It was talked about repairing things. There's a whole big stretch of Scripture that talks about people that go forth as uh, seamen or boat, uh, those that are fishermen or those that are merchants that's, that ship their things out. And there's a whole long thing about how that they were caulkers, K-C-A-L-K-E-R-S, in repairing the boats so that they don't sink when they get out there fully laden. And it, there, there are other times where you're preparing for war, you're, you're supplying your weapons. There are other times like Jonathan went out into the fields to meet with David to provide this for him so that he would be strengthened and supplied. There's a whole lot of that word that means you're galvanizing and you're getting things ready. You're equipping, even though you're not doing anything. You're preparing for something. Have we not been in that? So stout words as opposed to words and actions that are preparing, that are getting supplies ready, that are doing remedial care to things that need to be shored up. Maybe the Spirit, as we've said over and over again, touching areas that you made it through but now need to be um, to touched again so that they are strengthened and made ready. These are, these are incredible things. This is where we have been. We're just reading about it in a different way here. But this is what we've described over and over again that we've been trying to do before the Lord, while at the same time, this, this crazy attack of the enemy to try to influence us to be angry or, or to be bitter. It's that same prophetic wormwood kind of a conflict. But here it is right in this passage in Malachi. Your words are stout against me. And then the, the solution is those that really feared the ways of God, they began to exchange with one another. The Lord was in the middle of it paying attention and listening, and they put together a book of remembrance written before him on behalf of them that feared the Lord and them that thought upon his name. Before I say what I feel we're supposed to do for the rest of the month, let's look at this business of remembrance a little bit in a little bit deeper way. Same word. This do on your sheet in remembrance of me. We've heard that. We've heard that uh, from uh, the book of Luke when, um, when the Lord was breaking the bread. It said, this is my body. This take eat. This do in remembrance of me. Now, do you realize that that was part of Passover, but in a different way? Passover, the original Passover, was set at the time when Israel was going to be launched forth from Egypt into the new. That was a transition of transitions. And here's God saying in Exodus 12, 
verse 14 at Passover, this day shall be unto you for a memorial. There's that word, same word as remembrance. You will keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You will keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Then, for the feast of unleavened bread, which is not exactly the Passover. You can look that up. It, they, they are concurrent with one another. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Exodus 13, just one chapter later, verse 9, this shall be a sign unto you upon your hand and for a memorial, there's our word, between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand has the Lord brought you out of Egypt. There's our word again. Um, and this is, this is regarding specifically, I didn't write the verse, a reference to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the remembrance was, what has God done? What has God promised? What have you lived? You just lived it. These, the, the, the way you were from Joseph, from Abraham, from Joseph then, to uh, the bondage, to what God did through Moses. Do you remember all those things? You've got to keep them, even though some of them have just happened. And you keep rehearsing this. This is your remembrance. So when Jesus says in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 22, this do in remembrance of me, do you think maybe he was referring to this principle as opposed to him just saying, hey, you better remember what I'm doing for you here? He was saying when you're standing before this table of grace and you're being supplied to move forward into the new, to a step of grace, you better have this framework of remembrance before me and you, you better, you better uh, recognize that when you leave here, you dip your hand into that sop. Um, the enemy's going to be trying to say, is five steps away from that table. Nah, it's not going to do any good. You know, you believe before. You know, what, what are you going to do? That's crazy. You know, look, what, why are you even messing with this? It must be either, easier to do it this other way. That kind of stuff happens. So you've got to have a book of remembrance before the Lord so that you can Keep track of what he's done for you. Keep track of what he's promised you. Keep track of that identity and remember that God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. And it's up to you to remember that. You know, the scripture says, put, ye, put me in remembrance. But really, the, the tonality of that verse is, you keep this ready. If you're going to put me in remembrance, that means you're going to have to say it all. You're going to have to know it for yourself. And, and it's not like God's forgotten. It's that you've got to gird up what he's promised and know that you're partnering with him. So this do in remembrance of me comes from Passover. And it comes from the, the unleavened bread feast. And it really speaks of this principle when you're going forth into the new you better keep galvanized on what God has promised and the many things he has done. We often forget about that. I don't know what we think. I'm, I'm human too, obviously. I don't know what, how it's so easy to forget those things or to put them aside as if they don't matter anymore. 
The timeless God is just so much in that moment when he promised, when he prophesied, when he supplied, when he delivered, when he moved forward with you in grace as it is right now. So this do in remembrance of me, when we read that at the table of grace, really, yes, we should be thankful to the Lord for his sacrifice. But he's, he's quoting directly the original Passover and the original Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he's saying the same phrase, saying, when you're here at this place, you better be ready because stout words are going to be an option for you. Doubt is going to be an option for you. So you better remember what God has said and what your identity is in him. When Joshua was leading the people across the Jordan, finally, 40 years after they came out of Egypt, here in Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God unto the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. This may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what meaneth ye by these stones? Then you shall answer that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when you passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a, there's our word, memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Now, think about that. Here they are. They're finally getting ready Go across the Jordan into the land of the promise. You know, God's had them waiting there three days on the bank. And they're all getting ready. You know, they're going to have to, how are we going to get across this water? And then all of a sudden, God is going to stop the water so that once again, they can go through on dry land. So in the middle of all of that, he says, all right, find 12 stones, big stones, and I want you to put them in the middle of this transitional moment so that you will remember. What were they remembering? Not just that God could, could stop the waters. God did that for them before. Not only did God stop, stop up the waters on either side in the Red Sea, but he miraculously provided water for them. You remember all those things. Remember all those things. One of the challenges were that not very long before this moment, Moses stood uh, at the rock, and there, there was that strife, and there was that possibility for stout words, and there was the possibility that he forgot, and I'm giving Moses some credit here, just as like I'm giving Elijah some credit here. This moment is a very powerful moment, and the enemy will try to destroy what you're doing in God if you don't understand what's happening and if you don't grasp the moment for God. It's very easy to either shut off or to doubt or to come against God. It's very easy. To, Moses did that to some degree. And God said, uh-uh, you didn't do what was right. That's often hard for me to imagine. This guy, Moses, and all the things he'd been through, all the miracles that he'd seen, all the ways that he was faithful, and he does this one thing, and God says, you broke the rule. You didn't do what I said at the right hand. You're not going over. Isn't that awful? So what was going on? Was this God being, uh, was this God being punitive, or was this a principle that God cherishes that was not being honored? 
You know, when you come in contractual arrangements with somebody and the lawyers have looked it all over and you're signing things, if you don't sign it right, you sign the wrong name or you ignore this thing, it invalidates it, doesn't it? This is a divine principle. And here, guess what, folks? We're here right now. We are here right now. We talked about it a little bit last week. And I know the enemy's been playing goofy games with a lot of us. And you're wondering, what, what good does it do to serve the Lord? You know, you don't say it that way. You, you kind of say it in a way, you know, I don't know if I can believe this, you know. Things just seem to be going bad to worse in some ways, even though we're blessed and we've got all of these things that God has said and we're positioned to go forward. But yet over here, you know, ah, I don't know. At the point of breakthrough, you need the book of remembrance that God is paying attention to, listening to, and that seems to be the thing that brings the breakthrough. That seems to be the thing that allows you to become the jewel that God needs for the moments ahead. And how you step into a place of sonship. Look at these principles in verse 17. This, this measure of sonship wherein God is going to preserve you. And you'll, you'll, your, your perceptions are going to be sharpened so that you can discern, ra-ah, between the righteous vision and what is wicked and those that are serving God and those are not. It's not being judgmental. It's just being precise. This book of remembrance is, is really a prophetic thing. And obviously, it was important for the Passover. It was important for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was important for the, the crossing of the Jordan. It was an important thing for the, the Last Supper of all things, or the Lord's Supper. Let's look at two more passages where this is used, and this is page 2. Authority. Exodus 28, verses 9 through 12. This is a cool thing. I don't know that we really pay that much attention. We kind of skip on ahead to the breastplate of righteousness. You will take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six of the names on the one stone, six of the names on the rest of the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet ring, you will engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel, and you will... Make them to be set in ouches of gold. And you shall put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod. For stones of what? Memorial under the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Now this is important. This is put on the shoulders. Your name in the points of authority. The government of the Lord. Isaiah 9. And um, if, if you don't remember what's been said to you, you're probably not going to make it. This, this, is, this is engraved in stone. It doesn't say, hire some little dude to walk around behind you to keep telling you how great you are, to remind you of what God said to you. If you don't know it, you're not going to make it. No matter how many times and how many pieces of paper you have in your book of prophecies telling you that, the government on the shoulders has that engraved, and it is a memorial. Do you see that? 
And it's up to us to remember that. It's up to us to remember that. Interesting. What about warfare? This is one of our favorite ones because it has to do with the banners. Exodus 17, verses 14 through 16. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord Jehovah my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Yeah, we're battling Amalek right now. That force, remember we studied about this, this wicked group of tribes people who would just kind of do guerrilla warfare. They would, they would attack the weak places. They would attack the, the, the children and, and the, the families and the supply wagons. They never really do a frontal battle. They were always just nicking and coming. That's the way the enemy does. He goes as a roaring lion, seeking what he may devour, attacking at different points to the, to the degree that then he could conceivably wear you down or wear you out, or make you say, you know, it's not that important. You know, I'm still strong up here in the front, but all of these other things, they're just kind of, I'm tired of it. You ever felt just tired of it? Well, that's, that could be you, but it also could be a result of Amalek. But God says the banner. What does the banner represent? You should know this. Monica wrote a book on it. Debbie Kay's made all these banners. We focus on these in many places around the world. The banner represents what moves on the wind of the Lord in your hand, what depicts what he said about you, that depicts what he's doing in battle, what, what his armies are ready to do. And uh, Moses was the one that was standing on the top of the hill with his arms raised. Those were the original banners. And, um, you know, Aaron and her on either side. And um, that's the victory, but it is a memorial. It is a memorial. So this, this all comes back to Malachi here, to me, in the timely rhema of the Lord for where we are right now. And I know that we are here in, in the month of May, and I, I asked the Lord, well, I don't want to say how many times, but I was really asking the Lord for clarity as to exactly what we were supposed to do with this. You know, what, what, does, what would be pleasing to our Father for, for us to offer in this house and as a network? And so the best that I could come up with right now is that I am charging you. I'm giving you an official pastoral charge. It's you as individuals. You just go before the Lord have some paper near you from each day and let the Spirit remind you of things that you know He said to you over the, in regard to the work of the saints. And this isn't, we're going to apply the, the Baker rule here. We're not talking about something He said to you in 1972 when you and your number two were driving down to Galveston. We're talking about the saints, Okay. We're talking about since you committed yourself to be part of the army of the Lord as an intercessor, as a son, and as a saint. How has God spoken to you during that time? 
How has God provided for you? What miracles has he done? And you just write them down. Just for you. Not for anybody else. For you. For you. That's important. It's, it's important for you to remember these things before God. There's something that it does in the Spirit. There's something that it does in your relationship between you and the Father. There's something that it does that puts to flight this stout words business that can disqualify you. And really, in, in essence, what it is is you coming before the Lord and communing with Him about where He has you, why, how you've sowed the, sowed the tithe of your identity, that seed of beginnings. And, and it's, it's important to God because, again, He's all about the journey. He's, he's communication. He's not, he, he, the goal is not in question. The, the essence is your partnership with him and him spending time with you. See, Levi's even in agreement about it. He's calling out to the Lord at this moment. And so you need to remember this and do it every day. Do it for this week. Do it for the next part of the next week. And as we come to the end of the month, we will probably have... and. Don't ask me what day. I'm, I'm not giving a date. But we'll probably have a prayer time, probably on a Wednesday night, where we come, and we're not going to say them all then. We're just going to group-wise remember. And we, we will probably, on the last Sunday of the month, which is the fifth Sunday, when we begin the service, we'll probably have an opportunity for people to speak about things that we remember that God did in this house, things that need to be said. It's like the old-time testimony meeting, but not that old kind that Winford and I used to hear people say, well, bless God, the devil's been after me all week. That's not the kind of testimony that we're going to give. Bless his holy name. I mean, we're going to give, that was this old lady, she'd stand up, well, I'm so glad to be here on Wednesday night. I've just been dry since Sunday. The devil's been after me the whole week. Bless his holy name. She'd say that. Of course, all of us kids would think, that just sounds ridiculous. Who are you blessing? Are you blessing the enemy's holy name? or who? who? But anyway, she's dead and gone, so I can say that. Statute of limitations has gone by on that one. Mark Burke probably had some people in his daddy's church who said crazy stuff like that. But we're going to be saying things on that morning, the last Sunday of the month, that communion Sunday where we're this do in remembrance of me. And we're just going to give an opportunity to say something that we remember that God has done in this house. And I encourage you as saints, wherever you may be, you've got a list of things that God has said to you. You've got a list of things that God has put forward for you in your individual life, in your churches, it's time for you to remember them and maybe speak them out because other people have forgotten or have lost track of it. Listen, God is in this. Verse 16 again of Malachi 3. Then they that feared Yahweh. Do you fear Yahweh? Uh, and with that, remember what we've taught about fear. Yahweh, we, we've talked about that being a reverence and a devotion to. The greatest fear I have is that somehow when I stand before God, when it's all said and done on this earth, 
I'll recognize I didn't hear from him here. I didn't do this. I didn't know about it. Maybe, maybe my ears weren't open. Maybe I was so busy with pollution noise and I didn't hear and though I missed an opportunity. Or we made it 30-fold and 60-fold, but somehow we didn't get to that gatekeeper's level. And, you know, I think those kinds of things. Maybe you don't. Maybe you skip through the tulips all the time. But I, in my position and what God's given me to do, I grieve over us not fulfilling what the Father wants. So that's, that's the way I fear the Lord. It's not trepidation. I want to be that good and faithful servant that does well, that does exceedingly well. How about you? I mean, that's how you fear the Lord. It's not, oh, I better do this or God's going to fry me. I better do it or the lightning bolt. You hear the lightning? Oh, my goodness. Lightning for us means something totally different. Amen? Thunder means something totally different. We're not afraid of that. We yearn for that secret place of thunder. And so it's not that we fear the Lord and we think, you know what, we're, we're walking on thin ice here. We better repent and get back or God's going to throw us into hell. You know, some people, some, you believe some Christian, Christians live that way? They do. I, I know. I've known them. But to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to accentuate obedience to God, that's the beginning of God unveiling his plan for you taking the light into the darkness. So those that fear the Lord, this is us coming and saying, yeah, what's God said? I don't want to miss any of it. How is God provided? I don't want to forget any of that because he's the same God today. Them that fear the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. These ones shall be mine. I want to be his. How, don't you? So, once again, take time individually and write down things that God brings to your remembrance shouldn't be hard that he said over you, ways that he has appeared to you, ways that he has spoken to you, ways that he has revealed vision to you, things that you've seen God do that are undeniably miraculous. You know how easy it is for us to forget those things? It is. Even some of the most amazing things that God has done we have an oh yeah moment. We've forgotten them. And it's good for us to go back before the Lord and say, oh God, what a wonderful thing you did. And we're not like the people that uh, in Gideon's day, where are the miracles that our father spoke of? That's kind of a nasty way to be saying to an angel. I'm surprised he didn't get fried right then. It's good reading. It's in the Bible. Where are the miracles that God promised our fathers? Well, I don't want to be in that camp. I want to be saying God has worked miracles, and he has. So write them down. And then we'll see what God says next Sunday about prayer times. And then the Sunday following, being the, being the fifth Sunday, we're going to give some kind of an opportunity to just release the remembrance of our Father 
for this house. You do it for your houses. And we may find some way. I don't know we're going to do this. I don't know that we will do it. But we'll try to find probably some way where we can engage with the network about this. But right now, don't focus on that. Focus on yourself as individuals. Focus on what you need to be doing in your house or your prayer group. And um, we'll just see what God does. But I know this is of the Lord. I mean, uh, and I would encourage you. I, I thought, should I teach on this stout business? Because if you just click on that word, not right now, because I'm going to let you go here in a minute. But look at how that's used through the Old Testament. It's amazing, the various ways. And, and some of them are really meaty. I mean, they're not real obvious. But when you think about it just for a minute, you think, wow, look at this context. Look at this scenario. And that word and that strength is being used right there. I mean, to me, gosh, Jonathan supplying David, David, where the, the Belial was wanting to stone him, uh, uh, Saul grabbing the hem of Samuel's garment, every one of those, if you just remember what the word means and go from this, this principle and put that into the context of what actually happened there, and it will open up an entirely new vista of understanding of what God was actually doing. I mean, even like with Samuel and Saul, you know, we know Samuel, Saul disobeyed. We know that. Point granted. But it, it just seems kind of hard to me that here he is. He's got, he's got a moment of, some of us would be watching that. We'd feel so bad. Oh, give the boy a chance. He dove after Samuel, grabbed the hem of the garment. That's supposed to ignite the fire, isn't it? Grabbing the hem of his garment. We know that from the woman with the issue of blood. But here it ripped, and Samuel turns around and says, because you've done this, God's going to tear the kingdom away from you, and he's going to give it to someone whose heart is after his. Oh, we love David. That makes it okay. But the whole scene of it looks awful, doesn't it? Unless you remember this. Saul had forgotten what God had said. Saul had forgotten what God had promised. Saul had forgotten what he knew God had already begun to establish. So any amount of last-minute dive grabbing for the garment of Samuel was just goofiness. And Samuel, the prophet, makes a point to say, this is because you were hazacking the wrong thing. I don't want to do that. You can either harden your heart as Pharaoh did, or you can get before the Lord when people are wanting to stone you. Where are you in that camp? You can go either way. So that would be a really good thing for you to be studying this week. I thought maybe I should preach on it on Wednesday. I'm not going to now. I can tell you. The cat's out of the bag. You gather it up. Feed it. Let's see what God will say through the Word. But that's where we are right now. This is, this is what's going on in the spirit realm right now. And particularly for us as saints, poised on the banks of what? Breakthrough. This is where we are. God is forming his jewels. He is perfecting you. He is causing you to evaluate and to get things in position, to supply, to be ready to move forward, to galvanize. Has that not what we have been sharing together over the months? Of course it has. And here it is in the Word. That's what this Word means. So I'm done. 
write these words down and don't, don't submit them to the interpretation site. Right now, this is for you. And I think you're going to have a wonderful time because God is hearkening to it and he is listening. <laughs> Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, directive. Help us to follow it in a way that is successful in your eyes, pleasing to you. Do the thing that you need to do in the spirit realm and in relationship with you that this type of thing affords. I mean, if Jesus, your precious son, brought this up at the Lord's Supper, if you said it at the Passover, if you said it in regard to the unleavened bread, if you said it for the, the identity of the people in authority uh, on the breastplate of the priest, uh, on the shoulders of the priest, in all these other ways, God, let us align with you in it. Make this alive. And we pledge ourselves to it and guide these next two weeks so that we can totally fulfill what you have ordained for this moment. I bless your people. I thank you for the visitation of your spirit and the ministry that has already occurred here today. We seal the work of healing. We seal the work of life that has been imparted to people in this house and across the miles in our network family. You are with every one of us, and we thank you for the way you've touched our bodies, soul, spirit, and every part of who we are in you. Let us walk in that healing and supply. And we, we, give, you, we give you our appreciation and our heartfelt thanks. Send us forth from here, Father, and uh, help us to meet with you every day. And for this, we're grateful, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.